I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey guys, welcome to Awkward Sex and City. I'm super, super excited. There has There is a reason there's been no boys yet, and it is because I've been waiting for my best friend, Bobby Higginson, to have time, which I always try to get you to do it right before Queendom, which FYI, he has an amazing show called Queendom at Pete's Candy Store, which is always the third Friday of every month, correct? 7 p.m.? Yep. 7 p.m. Guys, you're going to have so much fun in this, this episode. We talk some real shit. We talk toxic relationships. We talk masturbating in parents' bedrooms. That's mine. I hope my parents don't listen yet. Um, we talk about relationships, families, uh, chat roulette. You're going to learn a little bit about chat roulette. You're going to learn a little bit more about how I masturbate. Um, very okay with that. I really hope you guys enjoy. If you do, why don't you like it? Or like rate it? Or like tell me via person. I love constant instant gratification, guys. Enjoy the episode. Meet someone live journal. Well, <laughs> live journal was not designed for dating. Um, is a uh, habitual pathological sneak and like um, spy. And so she was like constantly the type to like go through all my stuff. And it was like, uh, we got very good. This is a very like spy versus spy game we played. <laughs> there was gay roulette. There was daddy roulette. Oh, there I was did bear know gay roulette. roulette. Okay. There was a lot. I mean, like the gays, we love to, we love to specialize. <laughs> it's like a jelly belly sampler pack. It was like whatever flavor you're after. Yeah, I don't know what to do. What's up? How are you? I G-chatted you like 30 minutes ago. That's true. We G-chat all day. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. We do our thing all day. Mm -hmm. Um, This whole convo thing. So doing it on recording is going to be... This whole like friend thing. This whole friend thing. We just like do it. Yeah. It's like an active thing. Yeah, it's like a performance-based piece. Um, We're just... (laughs) It's been now three years. Um, We keep getting extended. 
But um, 11 year old, mm -hmm. he talk, I talk about him a lot or talk about you to him a lot because he'll see like the G chat and be like, who's Bobby? But he was asking me the other day, he was like, how did Bobby come out? And I was like, I don't know, actually. Oh, this is, um, this is a story actually I haven't told before and usually I don't talk about, but you know what? Don't gonna, have to I, though. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna go there. Okay. Um, I actually had a pretty traumatic coming out. Uh, I did not, I didn't come out so much as I was like dragged out <laughs> as much as I was like, surprise. <laughs> it was like a, like an invasion. Um, I was always like a very political act, politically active kind of person and always a writer. So I was mm -hmm. always writing even when I was a kid, I had a lot of diaries and journals. And then when I became more of like a teenager, it was like right around the time when like pre- pre-blog blogging was happening. Mm -hmm. So everyone was blogging, but like- Was that live journal? Before that, like, oh, wow. like right when that was starting. So I was hard coding uh -huh. in like, on like a tripod page <laughs> or like angel fire kind of thing. Like those, <laughs> like the pre-blog blogs. Okay, okay. Um, except I was, and uh, we didn't have the word blog then. So I was doing um, like an online zine is like how I described it. So I was like very into like punk rock and Riot Girl and all that stuff. And so- I was like, I'm going to start this e-zine or whatever. And of course, like a 13-year-old, you don't want to read their opinions about anything. <laughs> They're idiots. I didn't realize you were 13. Um, I thought you were 17 or 18. Oh, my God. No, 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 no. Oh I was a baby, God, baby, baby. I was adorable. I was like 13 or 14. It was like a freshman in high school. Um, so I started blogging a lot. And back then, I was blogging a lot about bisexuality. I was identifying as bisexual. And I was um, blogging a lot about like uh, LGBT issues in the media that were happening and like happening in the news. Like I was like a very plugged in child. <laughs> um, so I was doing a lot of that. And my mom is a uh, habitual pathological sneak and like um, spy. And so she was like constantly the type to like go through all my stuff. And it was like, uh, we got very good. This is a very like spy versus spy game we played <laughs> where she would like find new ways to like blow up my spot. And I would like find new places to like stash stuff in like dressers that I managed to like take apart and like find compartments that there was like space under. And I was very good when it came to computer stuff of like clearing history and whatever. And I never mm -hmm. looked at porn on my, on the family computer. Like the first time I looked at porn in my own house was like truly remark. I had like just gotten a laptop. Like I had just gotten a laptop for myself before I went to college and I had looked at porn. Don't get me wrong, but this was the first time I'd looked at like porn in my own home. I and would was... like masturbate to porn on my fam family's computer, which my parents put in their bedroom oh. because they were like, this will make it safer. I was on chat rooms in front of them. <laughs> I was like legit, like touching my pussy and they're like asleep. In like bed and I was like this is what you guys asked for you know oh, I would definitely watch porn at other people's houses like at friends houses and stuff which <laughs> is probably even more uncouth but my mom found it and like I was out with a friend and she like came and like got me and it was like a whole thing for like that like it was it was really bad it went like blew up everything was terrible we really didn't get along at all for years after mm -hmm. it so it was like it was the beginning of a really really dark bad time that wasn't so much it had nothing to do with them they were like my parents were never hateful or like they're not like weirdly religious or anything like that um it was being just like really concerned about like well you're gonna have a harder life and blah 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 blah. what about aids and what about this and just like they truly they don't they didn't i think especially at that point know a single gay person mm -hmm. like have no i had no context and it was just hard because they were like, we don't know how to do this. And I was like, I also don't know how to do this because I'm a child. And so now we can both just be like, 
I guess we're both just screwed then. Like, but they kept coming to me to be like, well, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. And I also didn't like ask to have this conversation now. And now you made this problem and now it is your problem. Um, Yeah. So it was just kind of like a weird thing. Then we were like at a standoff. And things really didn't get better until my when I had my second real serious boyfriend in college. And that's when I was like, here's the deal. Like, this is a person, this is like a serious relationship now. And now, like, you either have to be on board with this or, like, we can't be a family. Or, like, I, or I'm just like, or that's it. Like, that's, that's how life is going to be now. Yeah. And at that point, they had also done a lot of, like, I guess self-reflection or whatever and have been like, no, no, we're ready. To like, we're, we, we have figured this out now and have, like, a better context and so I think just like culturally so much changed in those years because if I came out in like um 2001 and then this was like 2004 and that's like a it doesn't seem like a long time but in that amount of time a whole lot of shit happened from like 9-11 on I mean like just like bigger big picture things to be like a reminder of like what's important really but also like culturally with like Queer Eye and um, Will and Grace and like more just like visibility and understanding. But it's not to think about like in our lifetime how much thing like in our lifetime it was illegal in America to have consensual gay sex in your own home. Like that is insane. And we forget that that like that wasn't like old timey the 1940s. That was like yesterday. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that it's crazy. So anyway, that's like the big broader context for coming out and so my parents it didn't really go well with friends obviously it was much easier and I was very open and out in high school like among my peers because uh-huh. um, I was because I was much more of a punk rock kid and was like didn't give a shit about nothing and I already was like a freak and a weirdo and so it was like what's one more weird thing about me mm-hmm. <laughs> for you guys and your fucking old navy shirts and whatever so that was all basically fine um, but I was always out I brought my boyfriend to prom I like didn't give oh, a fuck about cool. none of that yeah yeah no I never and I really, never really got shit for being gay I got the same I got called a faggot the same amount of times as anyone else who was like a weird sensitive kid got called mm-hmm, faggot whether mm-hmm. whether or not they were gay <laughs> so mm-hmm. in that regard I feel like I had a pretty decent and what's crazy going back to what you're saying how like how much has changed in such little time like I was talking to the 11 year old um because somehow like gay marriage came up and he was like yeah but they've always been able to and I was like no it's been three years <laughs> it's been a hot minute but that's what's so crazy is these kids or have been just immersed in it so much that they had no clue there was no other side. And I thought that was really cool because a lot of his, like I've told you via Jucha, a lot of his friends are like coming out as bi right now. And so he has a lot of questions. And then as someone who I feel informed, all of a sudden I was like, how do I answer this without making it feel like a big deal and that it's just normal? And like, of course, that's when I was like, no. <laughs> um, but it's it was mind blowing to me especially when he was like, no, it's always been okay. And I was like, no, 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 definitely not. I mean, like even we still to this day, you know, with the political landscape, the way it is, I have reached with my family, a greater understanding of like, we just don't talk about politics anymore because it's just not going to go well. They're not Trump supporters, but they're like, they're very like politically disengaged. Um, and we, but at one point we we're having a, like a, a spirited discussion, let's say, because it wasn't an argument because they weren't, That's there, was a, there wasn't a disagreement though. Like we weren't disagreeing. We were just like loudly, passionately talking. Everyone just gets, um, everyone just starts yelling. Yeah, but we, there, yes, but there was, but there was no disagreement. But mm-hmm. at one point, like we were just like talking about like why it's so important and, and how these things are so precarious and so precious and progress like 
is not a straight line. It's always going to be back and forth. And mm-hmm. so how do we keep the momentum going on these things? And my dad was just like, yeah, but it's fine. You can mar- get married now and you're in New York, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, second of all, I was able to get married literally three weeks before my wedding is when we when the Supreme Court decision came down. And that was just luck, right? That was, yeah, I was, yeah. I, mean, I was getting married anyway. Like I had planned a wedding at that point. It was like, I'm getting married regardless. Like, uh-huh. But then that happened, which was lovely. Um, a nice bonus. So that was very good. Uh, and at the same time, it also wasn't like it was a 9-0 decision. You know what I mean? I'm like, it was yeah. a 5-4 decision. So if you think presidential elections don't matter and you think politics don't matter, had, a, had Mitt Romney been president and put a conservative justice on the Supreme Court, that decision would have went a different way. And it, just like that, that wouldn't have happened. And so, and it's also, I think, really um, presumptuous and shitty to be like well you're safe in new york because like well fuck this i pay my i pay my federal taxes to this whole damn country Mm -hmm. and if i want to for some reason go live in mississippi god damn it i'm going to and i should have the same protections and safety there that i am supposed to be able to enjoy in new york when uh we also have like a no politics rule but it's really fun when you've had a couple drinks and you're pissed and you're like well let's just stir the pot a little bit i I know i'm very much so i don't even bother but my sister's having a baby and I'm like finding, I'm doing like little things. Mm-hmm. So like little things. So I bought um, a book. It looks really cute. It's called Red a Crayon Story. And it's about a blue crayon that got mislabeled in a red wrapper. And he's and the crayon's like, why can't I? Everyone's like, you're red. And he's like, but I can't. I'm broken. I can't make red. I'm trying to make red. I can't do it. I can't do anything. I'm no good at anything. And he says, and finally, and like they try every. They're like, well, what if you try to be a little warmer? Or what if we cut out? What if we like loosen your label a little bit? And they try all these things to make this blue crayon red because it says red and then finally the crayon is like hey why don't you try drawing an ocean and he's like i can't i can't i can't i can't and he does it and then he realizes he's blue and it's he's actually blue and it's really it's a beautiful story um so i got that but so it's like it's gonna be very um subtle my Mm -hmm. um indoctrination i'm going to be doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) this child but i'm like no you need to know that like it's okay like it's just it goes it counts so much for kids to to see that it's okay to be whatever even if they don't end up being gay if they end up being or, or they don't end up being trans or whatever it's just like so important to be like empower anybody and this is like thing like what i'm talking about in therapy all the time i'm sure what you're talking about i think what we're all talking about is like all anybody wants is to like assert themselves as like their own individual person and be seen and witnessed and respected for it and yeah. it truly costs the rest of the world nothing to do that yeah like kindness costs you nothing and if you sat here and you're like listen and I don't, this is, I'm not using this example to diminish or put on the same level as trans or anything like that. But if you sat here and you're like, I'm a parakeet now. I want to live my life as a parakeet. I want to get a parakeet cage I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to do this. I, it's not up to me to be like, yeah, that's okay or not okay. It's like, okay, do it. I don't know. It's not affecting me. Like, do whatever, like, yeah. whatever you want to do. Like, I respect that and I honor that in you. Like, the, you're whatever you want to do. And that's a, it's a bad example because I, I don't mean to, I don't want it to trivialize any kind of identity issues. Of course. Or people feel, but like, it's just that same kind of thing. Like who cares what anyone else does? And all they want to do is be like, this is who I am. And this is what makes me feel that. Cause if you feel, if you've ever felt that feeling, you're like, wow, I feel like a, my whole full self, I presented to someone and they got it and they were into it. There is nothing more thrilling. I, I, I've never had sex better than that. That is the best feeling. It's true. To be like, this is me fully and my beliefs and who I am fully as a person out loud. And yeah. for someone to be like, yes, yes, it is. I see that in you and I got that. 
Mm-hmm. That's there's nothing that beats that. And then you respect it. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing that feeling that feels amazing. And like the comfort you feel like the same way, like I know we both go home to our families and it's like walking on eggshells and like not knowing the rules and how I'm supposed to hold my napkin and how I'm supposed to put away the cabinets and like whatever. And it's like the whole thing is like so tense because everything feels like a booby trap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like then to be able to just like exhale and be like, I'm not putting any airs. I'm not doing anything. And like, I feel like I have, we, we have these moments with each other and I feel like I feel them a lot with us on tour when we're like, in the hotel room, everyone's just like letting loose and like being mm-hmm. honest and just like sharing and being vulnerable. And it's, it's nice. Yeah. There's so many genitals. There's so many parts <laughs> and there's so many stories. There's like real stories and like, it is, you do get to really just be yourself. And that is really, really cool. I don't think I know how you and Nate met each other. You've got to surely. I don't think I do though. I know I you've t- been together a long ass time. You met in Houston. Yes. We met on MySpace. I did not know that. You didn't know that? I did not I know that all the time. That's so weird. Swear to God. Yes, we met on MySpace. So I had just moved to Houston. I was went to school in Boston at Northeastern. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, I, I studied journalism. I worked at the Boston Globe for a little bit. After I graduated, did some freelance there for a while. Mm-hmm. Then I got this Hearst Fellowship. And they the idea of the fellowship was that you get um it's two years traveling at different Hearst newspapers. Um I had I broke up with my boyfriend soon after arriving there. Because this was this was the Emotionally abusive, awful yeah. dude. Yep, the one who left, left me for dead when my appendix was bursting. Mm-hmm. That's the one. I will He's say, I says every time that he worked at Urban Outfitters and they were <laughs> cutthroat, like they would just, you'd get fired so quickly. Well, like, here, they for, didn't... for the benefit of the listener, um, <laughs> who, who might not have all this context or for some reason hasn't yet seen us perform Awkward Sex in the City, um, coming to a city near you. We are uh, <laughs> so much better at plugging. I, uh, I had this boyfriend in college who in retrospect had his own issues and whatever. Um, we did not have a very healthy relationship by any definition. It was very back and forth off and on. I like to say it was a real won't they or won't they situation. <laughs> so, uh, one day I woke up like doubled over in pain in uh, in his bed and he had a car and in Boston no almost none of my other friends had cars we were all college students but he had a car because he also wasn't a college student um he didn't go to school he he just did what he's gonna do anyway not important he <laughs> I woke up and I was like oh my god I, I think I have to go to the hospital like I like truly I was like crying in pain and I'm I'm a baby for sure like when it comes to like any kind of like the slightest discomfort but I am <laughs> I'm not a hypochondriac. Like I don't, I don't go to the doctor unless I really, really, really have to. And this was a case where I was like, I need to call like an ambulance. I'm like, I'm truly like, I'm, I'm, something is very, very wrong. wrong. And so he's like, well, I have to go to work. And I was like, okay, but I like truly need to go to the hospital like right now. And he was like, yes, but I have to go to work. (laughs) And I was like, okay, but like, there's, how is there not like a, like a snow chain? Like, I don't know. Can't you like call someone and get caught? And he's like, no, I'm opening the only one. And I was like, oh, okay and it was this whole thing and it was really like embarrassing and horrible and I was like sobbing and then I called the my health insurance to be like I, I I'm in excruciating pain like I don't know what to I don't know I literally don't know what to do do I go to a hospital do I go to an urgent care like I was a baby I was like you know 20 I was like I don't know what to do yeah we don't know anything about the healthcare system no yet. no and I had health insurance through my like my parents health insurance mm-hmm. so but I didn't know I like literally didn't know I'm like I'm not, I can't like wait for the office to open and make an appointment but like do I go to the ER and I'm living in Boston I don't know I don't even know what the like I know the names of the hospitals but it's not like my like I it's my local hospital you know like yeah. I can't go to, I, I didn't have a general practitioner I don't even know what hospital I'd go to now exactly <laughs> So, I have no clue. and the person on the phone was like, um, you need to go to the hospital. She's like, it sounds like it's your appendix. You need to go to the hospital right now. Mm-hmm. She's like, and so if you cannot get there right now, and this was way before Uber, obviously, and all that stuff. 
um, then we need to call an ambulance and you need to go right now. And I was like, Pat, I was like, oh, fuck. So I called my old roommate, Stephanie, and I'll never forget this. And this is why we'll be even no matter how frequently we talk or whatever, she'll always be like ride or die. Um, Because I called her that morning and I was like, and literally all I said was, I think you need to the hospital. And she didn't even ask a follow up question. She was like, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And that was it. And then she was there and she had a real big girl. Like he was going to Urban Outfitters that day to work. And she was going, she had a, she had just graduated and she was working at a newspaper in the suburbs called the Patriot Ledger, which is like probably the second biggest newspaper in Boston after the Globe. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a real important, real job. And it was appendicitis, right? It was. And And when I got there, they, I went into surgery, they removed my appendix. Then when they, when I came out, the doctor was like, he's like, just, you know, he's like, we took your appendix out and like literally I took it out and it crumbled in my hands. <laughs> and he's like, anyway, that was, it was, it's gone. He was like, cause I was like, can I see it? Can you like put it in a jar? Like, can I, you know, I was like kind of like into it. Like, Oh, can this I is like the first time something in my body is like outside my body. And I want to know what that's like. <laughs> uh, and he was like, no, he's like, I literally took it out of you and it like disintegrated. He's Holy like, you got shit. here like in the nick of time. Cause if your appendix bursts while it's inside you, it's, it's really dangerous. It's bad. Yeah. It's really so, bad. Um, so anyways, that guy was a piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> was that what broke you guys up? Nope. Um, it's, it's always it's I that's why I kind of not that I love this about emotionally abusive relationships but there's always like this one big moment you know what's so that great that should have been it that should have been like everyone's like this is when it's done but there's like this little tiny thing that sets you over the edge that finally makes you break up at least that was how it was for me yeah I mean based on what I came down with him we had and we had broken up once before because I'm 90% sure he cheated on me but it just kind of became this whole thing right um, like no tangible evidence but yeah. like yeah but there was enough like weird unexplained behavior and whatever mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so we had taken a break before which is the worst Worst. Um, yeah. But when I finally moved to Houston and we had that distance, um, he still actually broke up with me. I, he is the one who ended it uh, because we just like, again, we're being spiteful. And like what happens when you're in an emotionally abusive relationship is like everyone. Yes. Even, no matter who's at fault, it just becomes toxic all around. And oh, you're yeah. having these like gross fights and you're yelling and you're doing like horrible, dramatic things. You're hanging up on each other. You're not to returning phone calls on purpose to be spiteful. Mm-hmm. You're like going out of your way to hurt each other and like in a way that's, that feels really good in the moment, but it's, mm-hmm. it's just damaging to everybody. Mm-hmm. So we were doing a whole lot of that shit. Um, clearly we were not made to do like long distance. So <laughs> he broke up with me. I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. I was like sitting, I had just moved into this like townhouse in Houston. So we had two floors. I had no furniture. Cause like my stuff was like being shipped. Yeah. I didn't know anybody. I had just gotten my first car that I barely knew how to drive and was terrified to do it. So I would never leave my apartment Yeah, and I would sit in my apartment and I would eat peanut butter jelly sandwiches. Cause I didn't have any like stuff to prepare food with. Um, and I was just sitting in this empty apartment and he broke up with me. And in that moment, like just something clicked. And then I was just like, I want you to know that you are going to look back on this and you are going to regret it the rest of your life. I'm like, you are making the biggest mistake ever. You had a great thing and you will never ever find someone as good as me ever. And then I hung up and then we didn't talk for a very long time uh-huh. and like years. No, maybe not even years, but within a year, later. Okay. He would like resurface and be like, I made a huge mistake. It was, it was like, <gasps> I put a curse on him truly. And I to this it. day I would, I will still every, maybe once or twice a year, like a, like a 3am text message comes in. That's like, I should have went to Houston with you all those years ago. Like wow. still care. I, it truly feels like I put a curse on him like a witch. That is like the greatest vindication ever to it, be like, yeah, I was the best thing that happened to you. If I'm so glad that happened. Cause I, like, anytime I look back on that relationship or I get sad or I think our like second guess, like, was he right or whatever? Or like, you know, is that what I deserved at the time? It's like that, which is like put it on context. It's like, no, that was like the, like, the biggest moment of clarity of like you 
are a screw up and like I am someone like who would love you and help you grow and support mm-hmm. you and like do all the stuff and you are throwing that away and you are throwing that away because you're an idiot. And instead we but that's how you like live and learn. You like that's it it showed me a lot of like what I wanted and what I didn't, which brings us to Nathan, my husband, who um after we broke up, uh, you know, this is before Grinder, this is before like really social media. I mean, like we had Facebook, but um we didn't have like, there was no Tinder or anything like that. And like online dating was still kind of like gross and weird. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I was on MySpace and I was looking for people like in the area looking for MySpace is, is, as you know, a place for friends. And, uh, (laughs) it just so happened that the only friends I was interested in finding were like good looking guys I would have sex with. So, (laughs) Uh, so what you're saying friends. is MySpace was the first grinder. Yes. I mean, <laughs> well, truthfully, I also met, I mean, that, that horrible college boyfriend I met on LiveJournal. So I kind of have like How a thing. How do you meet someone on LiveJournal? Well, <laughs> LiveJournal was not designed for dating. In fact, if anyone remembers LiveJournal, I don't know if you remember the interface, um, but it's maybe you were also a fat goth teenager like me. But we, uh, what I would do is I would put in like a location and I would put in like a couple common interests. You can search by those things. Then I would look for guys. I would look for guys that would have like little gay tells. Like if they had like a rent poster in their profile picture or they had like a Tori Amos quote or like something like that. And I'd be like, got him. Uh, so that's how I found <laughs> my last singer. My college boyfriend, we actually, we met on live journal. We met in person the first time at a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's concert in Providence, Rhode Island in like 2004. Um, which was great and also felt like it was such a thing that like 2004 Bobby thought was like the most romantic coolest thing ever it's like oh my god we're here at this yeah yeah it's concert Karen O is spitting beer on us this is so cool um we're in love this is amazing I thought that was the first time you meet when like at a concert you can't talk to another person well, you can't a, hear shit but it wasn't even supposed to be a date it was just like oh you're going to this I'm going to this like clearly we'd been like flirting mm. it wasn't like an official date okay, or anything okay, okay. but it was just sort of like well, we're both going to be there. And then we met and we were obviously like very flirty. There was like an, obviously like a connection, um, sparks. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I met Nathan on MySpace and reached out to him and we started talking. We talked on the phone and he was coming out of an even more insane abusive relationship. And this one before. I do, I do know a lot about this one. Yeah. yeah. This guy, I mean, I'm sure one day he'll tell you the whole thing, mm-hmm. dear listeners. Yeah. So <laughs> stay yeah, I tuned. Want, I, Nate, I want you in the podcast. You know that. He met Nathan. He was great. But he was coming in this really abusive relationship too. And I met Nathan and I our, my first impression, which I told my mom and told my friends, I was like, he's nice and whatever, this is fine, but like this is not this is not forever. Like he's a he's a nice guy, it's whatever, it's fine. I'm just gonna like date him for now and then we're gonna, you know, they're gonna move me to a different city and it's gonna, gonna mm. it's not gonna matter. And so this is kind of like a fling I'm gonna have now. And so he came and then we just got to know each other more. We both talked especially about like our last relationships, and we kind of we that we came up with this rule. I mean, it's not like an original thing. Um, lots of people have a similar <laughs> idea. But anyway, we had this whole thing where like, listen, I don't want to do the things that we did with our exes. I don't want to have the, I don't want to be spiteful. I don't want to hang up on you. I don't want to not return your phone call on purpose. I know it's going to hurt you. I don't want to break into your email. I don't, I don't want to do that basic bullshit stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we made this thing. We're like, we're going to do this until it stops being fun. And when it stops being fun, we should stop doing this because everyone tells you this shit that like relationships are supposed to be work and all that stuff. And that's true to an extent, Mm -hmm. but I think so often people stay in toxic relationships or abusive relationships under this false premise that like, Oh, it's supposed to hurt. And you're like, yeah, it's different to be like, Oh, you're supposed to challenge each other and help each other grow versus like you're supposed to hurt each other. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we made that commitment not to, we're like, I don't want to do that ever again. Like, and we're at that point we met when we were 22 and it's like, oh my God, you're such baby. Exactly. So it's like, I'm too young to be miserable. Like I'm too young to force a bad relationship to work. And so are you. And so like, let's, we're, we're having, we're having a great time. Let's keep having a great time. And mm-hmm. if it stops being great, let's just commit to just breaking up. Um, and so eventually it came time to move to my next city, which was going to be San Francisco. And we had been dating at that point for maybe six months, maybe like seven, no more than eight. I thought it was so much longer than that. No. I thought it was like two years. We were dating six to eight months. But at this time he was, he had just like unofficially moved into my apartment, uh-huh. like was always there to the point where I was like, can you just like start paying rent? <laughs> um, Cause he was constantly there all the time. And then, and he was working like a, like a basic, he was a bank teller. He was working a very like, you know, hourly job mm-hmm. um, where there's at, a, at like a national bank that has branches everywhere. And so I got the news and I was like, Here's the deal, dude. We talked about this whole thing. Like, let's not, you know, get go overly serious too fast or anything. But we did say, like, let's do this until it stops being fun. And like for me, it hasn't stopped being fun. And I like I feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not done dating you yet. So mm-hmm. like no promises, like no big thing, but they're paying to move me to San Francisco. So like, what do you like? You don't have any stuff. So it's not gonna cost extra. So like, <laughs> like, how do you feel? <laughs> it's not gonna cost extra. Well, I mean, he literally had not, I mean, he had nothing. Uh-huh. Like so I was like, how do you feel about this like going on this like crazy adventure? Like worst comes to worst. It's like, what a story. It's like that you like you and this like guy that you don't really know super well. Like we just like up and moved our whole lives to San Francisco and like made it work and like we'll figure it out. And like, and if it's bad, you couldn't come home. I mean, like they're they're paying me enough to support to pay for rent and they're, you know, paying to move me. And if it's terrible, then like get on a flight and go home. I mean, like, what else can I tell you? And he came and like that decision I think really changed everything. Cause I think once we were there. San Francisco is a beautiful city, but it was a really hard city to live in. I think harder than New York in a lot of ways. Wow. Because uh, I feel like not at, in New York, there's like a certain amount of assumed struggle we're all in. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But San Francisco is not. And I feel like I was there when I was even in Houston. When I got to Houston, I made so many friends, close friends so quickly. Friends, I, we still go there for holidays to see these friends. Yeah, you were literally just there just last there for week for Thanksgiving. Yeah. Like the, all these people kind of like adopt you and take you in and lots of people are transplants. And I worked in San Francisco for about a year and I was, my coworkers were nice, but like no one ever, like when the holidays rolled around, they weren't like, do you have somewhere to go? Like nothing. Like mm-hmm. no one, it was like very hard to make friends. It was very, so we were very isolated and it was very expensive and we like, we had enough to get by, but just barely. So we didn't really go out. We were like eating hot dogs and ramen, like the whole thing. So we were just home a lot together. Yeah. And we kind of like, you know, we're just, Nathan was held up at gunpoint at the bank um, in San Francisco. So like we just like went through a bunch of stuff there that like I think brought us really close. And I couldn't go home that year um, for Christmas because I'm very big about the holidays. As you know, I love the holiday season. Mm -hmm. And that's the only year I didn't go home for Christmas because um, at that point we had been dating we would have been dating then for a little over a year. And my parents obviously hadn't met him because my parents would never come visit me. Um, but they offered, they're like, we'll pay for both of your tickets to fly out. And Nathan was like, I really appreciate that, but it kind of makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't, they don't know me at all. And it's like, it, the tickets are expensive and it, it's, it's a weird, it's a big first move. And I, honestly, I'm not comfortable. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I understand that. And I was like, but I'm also, I'm not comfortable leaving you alone for the holidays here because you can't afford to go back home either. So we ended up staying and we, it was nice. And we had a nice holiday us anyway. It wasn't, you know, terrible or anything like that. We had, we made the most of it. And that's basically what we did in San Francisco. I think, and that was like a whole turning point for our relationship. I think after that, it was like, oh no, this is like a real thing that could potentially be like a forever thing. And now here we are 11 years later, uh, married for three. 
I love that the dog started snoring at the very end <laughs> story. Like it's a bedtime story. Like it's done. Lights out, guys. Um, going back to what you're saying about like that people will be like, um, relationships are hard, blah blah blah. I feel like nowadays, and they like they are like you said, they are a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's such a baby boomer mentality. Yeah. I feel like I, I talked about this with Jesse on the last podcast. Like I really do think millennials have really figured out relationships in a way better, yeah. saner, smarter, healthier way. And especially like you guys also met so young, like you yeah. guys met, like that's like the age that my parents, they were married two years at that point. Like yeah. it's to be that young and to figure all that out together. Cause it's been how long now? 10 it's, years? It's been uh, over 11 at this over point. Over 11. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. It, I mean, it is, it definitely feels crazy, but like it, you know, we, and we're very, we're so gross and lame. Like we do spend, <laughs> like we're still, if you went through my text messages with him, there's, it's still like. I love you so much. I miss you. Come home. I miss you. I can't wait. Like we all day, mm-hmm. every day. It's like that all the time. Not, not that we don't argue and not that we don't have like, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, like every, every relationship, but the kinds of arguments we have though, it's never the same. It's never it's not those a, kinds of fights. It's not a toxic argument. No. And it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't dig that deep and it's not about these huge issues. It's always like, no, it was your turn to do the dishes. Like it's mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It's mm-hmm. like, of course. It's like, I had, I had a bad day and I'm cranky. Kind of like, put your socks away kind of fight. It's never like the, I don't, where were you last night? Or yeah. I was really upset and you weren't here for me. It's like, nothing, never. That's the kind of stuff that I think is, people oh need God. to make a distinction between. Yeah, like there's a, a big difference between a shitty partner and a partner going through shit. Like, yes, yeah. A huge difference. And like, that's, you're so right. Like, I'm just thinking about like, like Aaron will like, we've, Aaron, have I only texted like, once today because he's having a really long day at work but if with with like the last ex that would have been like red flags left and right like why is he not getting back to me where is he what right. is he doing is he with her blah 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 like who is he with like it's crazy the amount of leeway we give to shitty people sometimes yeah. too you know i know folks who have like uh, other kinds of abusive relationships and you know uh they, they come in all flavors and varieties <laughs> but like that kind of like weird toxic relationship where there's just like a, a baseline level of like disrespect mm-hmm. and just like a baseline, a very baseline level of like just being inconsiderate and thoughtless. Um, and it's the spitefulness like that really gets me. It's like that, per- like there's one thing to be like a shitty partner because you're selfish or because you're committed to your own thing or you got too much going on. You're like not being attentive. But it, to, to me, I just can't get over that spitefulness. Like that was what always got me really bad. And um, I've actually been really into Lane Moore's book lately. And she talks a lot about relationships. I want to get it, How to Be Alone. It's so beautiful and so good. And I'm still, I actually made Nathan listen to, because I bought the audiobook book, because um, I'm bad at books, because I'm an idiot. But <laughs> um, last night I got home, there was a chapter that was so good about family and how people give um, your family credit for both your successes and your failures. And is that really fair? It, anyway, it was just beautiful. And she just, it's just so gorgeous. I don't want to spoil it for folks. Everyone should read it and listen to it, whatever. But I played it like on our speaker and I was like, Nathan, I really want you to like, let's just like sit and listen to me. And we were both like hysterical. It's just so good and beautiful. I don't know where I was going with this. Um, There is, you're talking before oh, that spitefulness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because she talks a lot about relationships she had. And the big part of it was the fact that she was, you know, uh, working as a musician and doing comedy and writing and her partner was jealous and like was that living that life and wanted that life Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways I think my ex and I had a similar thing where I was like at that point just like academically like successful and committed and like knew what I wanted to do and driven um and he just didn't have that 
clarity of vision. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really was crystallized for me at my college graduation. He came and he was with my parents and my aunt had come for some reason, but she was also there because I guess she just had like nothing to do that day. And she's like, <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go to graduation. Sure, I'll go to Boston. So they were all there. And after my mom wouldn't tell me this until after we broke up because parents are super useful that way. Um, <laughs> she was like, you know, at your graduation, your aunt turned to me or like after something, she was like, he's just not happy for him. Like I can't, there's this, you can see like he just, you could tell he's just like not happy for him. Like he's not proud. He's not like supportive. He just like looks miserable for him. Like he's, you know, like, and I was, he's like, he was not happy for his success. That would have been a great bomb of knowledge to know. I know. I was like, cool, cool, cool. Good to know. (laughs) Can you let me know? You let me know that kind of stuff. So, but that's also one of those things um, that I don't think we allow ourselves to see when we're trying to make a bad relationship work. Of course. Of course. So even if you were given that information, I don't know if it would have actually like for me, it wouldn't have stuck. Like I'd be like, no, he he's just tired. Yeah, (laughs) Exactly. No, you're right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But like hearing that back was, again, one of those things where more importantly, like it taught me what to look for later, you Mm -hmm. know, and now like Nathan and I both have like gone through pretty like massive life changes like throughout the course of our 11 year this is we were 22 <laughs> and now we're 33 and so oh there's been a lot that's happened with like nathan's change we both changed careers nathan mm-hmm. went to school like we've done so much and like through it all like there is such a genuine sincere like love and support for one another that just like is undeniable and like easy to spot there was um because my ex was a comedian and same thing like wasn't happy for me and like my successes so when Aaron was like I want to do comedy there was a legit a moment of like can there be two comedians in a relationship (laughs) can we do this what if he gets more successful than me quicker what does that mean and it I had to really take a step back because at first I like wasn't happy when he said that and I was like well what does this mean about me this is freaking me out because that's Aaron is the most giving and loyal of course, yeah. and supportive person that I wouldn't be where I am now without him in my life. Um, and so now I can only hope that I can do the same for him as he starts his comedy career and his podcast career, too. But it had a, it took a long time to be like, oh, you're afraid that you're going to be your ex. And that ha- a lot of times when we have fights or when I have breakdowns, I'm just like, I'm my ex. And he's like, you're not <laughs> at all, like at all. But it's this weird like you are just so afraid of like creating those patterns again and like reliving that like loop for some reason. But obviously like you're not, I'm not, but it's like still in the back of my head. It's going to be such a weird like turn. But when you're talking about MySpace, <laughs> it was making me think of all the weird things I've done online sexually. And I mm, like to tell you yeah. things that I've done first. Sure. Like I don't even think Aaron knows this. Did you ever do chat roulette? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. I didn't do chat roulette, literally chat roulette. I did. There's like a, there was like a gay version. What was the gay version? There was gay roulette. There was daddy roulette. Oh, there I was did bear know gay roulette. roulette. Okay. There was a lot. I mean, like the gays, we love to, we love to specialize. <laughs> it's like a jelly belly sampler pack. It was like whatever flavor you're after. We're like, no, no, no. We all just like make, we don't mix in one big pot. We're not like straight people. We're like, I don't know anyone. We'll do whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Well, you have a very tail, a, 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 a bespoke <laughs> masturbating for <laughs> random strangers experience. So, so um, <laughs> This, that's a perfect segue. I I was like, it was after uh, Kansas dude. I was like still really heartbroken. And Matt one day was like, let's play a game. And he shows me chat roulette. I've never played it before. And he was like, all right, what are we going to do? Either one of us is going to be on screen and the other one's going to be off screen. And then when we feel ready, we're going to be like, hey, like, let's do a threesome. And of course, it was just like, who 
it was like playing chicken, like who will go far enough? And so that would be the game. And I was like, ha this is great. But then I would get on at night alone mm. and be like, well, I want to fucking masturbate now and do the whole thing. But at first I was masturbating on chat roulette. Fun fact, you will get banned, but you Not know how the gay you, ones. you know we how you get unbanned? <laughs> well, they'll be like, we, you have genitals on your screen. <laughs> <laughs> Can you? I like how they notify you. You're like, oh my god, I do. Where? Where? Oh <laughs> Is it a penis? I don't know. Grab a, where's the Windex? <laughs> But they're like, you can either stay banned or what they would do is they would enlist the people that got banned to ban other people. So you're just given. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. You were basically, so you were like chat roulette masturbating suicide squad, yes. basically. Yes. Yes. And the more times you got banned, the more people you had to ban. So one time it hit. Oh, a- like, this is, I never knew this. This is amazing. Why is this not like a medium.com post? <laughs> I was like, I had to tell you. I mean, I think at one point I had to ban 500 people in one sitting. Natalie. And you're just given you're given like a screen and it's like all the mini like like uh chats it's, and you'd be like penis, tit, penis, vag, penis, and you're like click, click, that's click. That's like the capture, like prove you're not a robot. You're like, which of these squares has a clit in it? Jesus. That I had no idea that was a thing. Neither did I until it happened. And I was like, I'm okay with this that, This is how we get to the purge, I swear. <laughs> like, this is how we start the purge. Because that is some, like, turning on your fellow man, big brother shit. Oh, my God. No, I'd be like, no, sir. I will not. Sometimes I would get power hungry. And I was like, I would just, like, try to get banned. So I can do this. <laughs> Put me back in, coach. Put me in. I got it. It was just like a fun little game. And then you got to see, like, I think that's how I saw my first uncircumcised penis. I was like, hmm. Mm. Like, I had to hesitate. I was like, what is that? It's the capture trying to trip you up. Is it a snake? Or is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have done the same. But again, the gaze, it's like you were supposed to. Like, it'd be weird if you weren't. Mm-hmm. If there wasn't genitals on the screen. Well, now I just feel you. Like, I would have crazy. I would have done that as an hourly job. Like, I would, I like, I had fun. <laughs> like, that can be my you day guys, job. You guys, we just cracked the code about, like, this insane thing. <laughs> someone, please, hello, HuffPo. Can someone please, like, do this expose? Is the chat roulette still a thing, though? Like, can you still go on? I don't know. I never, that was, that was, I was, I wanted one that had genitals specifically. So this was, I was not <laughs> chat roulette's target demo, I think. You were like an outlaw. You were like Westworld, like rebelling against the machine. The, ro- the robots yeah. are the humans. <laughs> exactly. That was you. Spoiler alert. That show sucks. I hate that show. <laughs> I fired it. It was, it got too much. It got, Two okay. episodes and seconds. Oh yeah, go on. Yeah, same. Seconds. I was literally going to, we were honestly going to say the exact same words. <laughs> But then were you into, and I should have seen this coming, like now in retrospect, because I, you know, I've done Tinder and I've never been on an online date. All I did was like use the dudes to make me feel better and like sex them. That's all they're good for. Whatever. Like I'm, I'm okay with saying I did that. People are like, that's fucked up. And I was like, is it when it's done to us all the time? But when I was a middle schooler and chat rooms became the thing, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was that girl. I was that 13 year old girl that was like age, sex, location, age, sex, location. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like. Oh, there was a word. It wasn't horny, but it was like, I'd be like, who wants, he wants to talk privately. And then I'd be like, so do you like me any babies or something? And then I knew what they wanted. Like I knew that they wanted sex. And one time this guy was like, where are you from? So I would say like Baltimore because it wasn't a lie. Like I feel like I still couldn't lie online. Like they find out. And he was like, oh, do you like the Orioles? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I play for the Orioles. And I was like, oh, wow. Everyone's lying. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) I know. It's like, like, and I got mad because I was like, bitch, I know you're lying. Like, I know you don't. And he'd be like, let's go meet. And like, I'd be like, yeah, I'll see you there. And then just like disappear. (laughs) Like, I always did this to these dudes. You were like practice catfishing. Yeah. 
I feel like I used really... to do that kind of stuff too. I used to like pretend I was a woman and talk to men and like stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm not proud of it. I don't think it's right. Don't do it, kids. Um, just be yourself. Guys, I hope you had a great time listening to this episode. I had a blast. Uh, it's always fun. I talk to Bobby 24-7 every day. And so getting it on record, not like print via Gchat, was great. Again, if you really like the episode, subscribe, share, like, rate. I would love, love, love for you guys to start putting your awkward sex, dating, relationship, masturbating, family stories on the reviews. And I will, if you want me to, read them out loud. And you can also email me at awkwardsexandthecity at gmail.com. See you in two weeks. I love you guys. Bye.